If you have a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 4. And uh, turn to verse 35. And we're going to be studying uh, this passage tonight. We're currently in the book of Mark. And if you weren't here last week, we went through Mark chapter 4, which was uh, specifically about some parables. And we talked about some of the details with the upside down nature of God's kingdom. So specifically, we talked about uh, the parable of the mustard seed, if you remember, how God is not all about starting big as so much as he is about starting small. We talked about the way to up is, is not actually up, it's down. The way to get ahead is not to exalt yourself, it's rather to humble yourself. And in this uh, teaching tonight, we're excited because we get to, instead of looking at a story of, about Jesus' kingdom, we get to look at a story about Jesus' power. So Mark chapter 4, verse 35, when they're there, say yes, yes. Everyone else that's almost there, say yes. Yeah? Yeah, good. Mark 4, verse 35, uh, read with me. Verse 35 says this, That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and the waves. Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him. I love God's word, don't you? God's word is good, it's rich, it's powerful. And before we jump in and study this, I'm going to ask that we just take a minute and pray. Jesus, we thank you for this moment. We thank you that we have the opportunity to open your word. We thank you for the truth that is in it. We're so grateful for the fact that you love us, that you protect us, that you give us insight to how your kingdom works, that we might be able to live a more full, a more blessed, a more joyful, a more God-like life. And so as we look at the story of your power, as we look at the storms, as we look at this passage in depth, would you open our eyes, would you open our hearts, would you open our minds, give us, give us flexibility, give us the ability to see the things in our own life that need to go, the, the areas that need to be rearranged, the things that need to be moved out, moved around. We just want to humble ourselves. We say tonight, truly, you're God, we're not. We need your help, so please give us wisdom, give us direction, guide us in your word. And all God's people said so loud, please. Amen. Amen. Well, is everyone awake? I want to make sure everyone's up. Everyone awake? Yeah? Okay. Give someone a high five and we're going we're gonna to keep going, okay? There you go. Two feet. Great. Perfect. Two people are into this. This is going to be a long night. Um, anyone ever been uh, on a boat in the ocean? Anybody? Ever? Wonderful. Okay. Good. Uh, when I was, uh, got married to my wife, Elizabeth, we went on a honeymoon to this wonderful place called Maui, and we decided one adventurous thing we were going to do was to go snorkeling. Anyone ever done this? Great. 
Well, we decided to go, and it was an early morning snorkeling session. So we're thinking, okay, we'll wake up, we'll go around 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock. We get the call the night before, and, and they say to us, hey, it's around 6 a.m., so, so be out at the water out, at about 6 a.m. Well, at the time of year that it was, it was dark outside, and we get there, and even though it's Maui, it's still cold outside, and the boat was in the ocean, and it wasn't really close to the shore. It was actually quite a ways out, and they said, okay, go get on the boat. And I'm thinking, this is just not, this is interesting. And so we have to go through two big breaks of waves just to get on the boat in full clothing and in sweaters and all that stuff. And uh, we proceed to get on the boat. It was a wonderful way to start a romantic um, morning, to say the least. And we get on this boat, and we were going to an island. I think it was called Mulakini, I believe. Anyone ever been there? I'm sure some couple people, great. So we were on our way, and before we started going, the guides were specific about two things. One was don't drown, which was the, I was thankful for that. I was thankful for that advice. It was good advice. I, I felt like I could follow it to the fullest degree. And the second thing was if you need to, for whatever reason, um, remove any details of, of items that would be in your stomach and want to get them out for whatever reason, do not grab the garbage can and throw up in a garbage can. Rather, if you could just lean over the side, that would be really helpful. And these were the only two rules. And I remembered them, and I was confident that I could follow them to the, the nth degree. And so we keep going, and um, I had not been on a boat in the ocean up till this point, I found out, because the trip was great. And then it started being really not great. And all of a sudden, I felt like life was slowly passing from me, and I was slowly dying. And I remember thinking, what is happening to me? And then all of a sudden, this, this urge came over me to let everything that was inside my stomach outside of it. And all I could do was grab the garbage can that was right next to me. <laughs> and I go to grab it, and this wonderful, wonderful, she was so sweet, the lady that was guiding the trip, she pulls the garbage can out of my hands and says, no, over, over the side. Over the side. And I was thinking in my head, that is just so lame. I could have thrown up all over you. Like, this could have been so disastrous for you. But she was quite confident to take that away. And I remember thinking, this is horrible. And for the rest of the trip to the island, I sat with my head between my legs. Because uh, I said that helped. I don't think it did. And I sat there all the way, kind of like a fool with my new wife, on our way to the island. And we get there. And I'm excited. I think, okay, that trip was over. I feel a little bit better. I get into the water. I think this is good. I get the snorkel gear on, and I decide, okay, I'm going to jump in. I'll be one of the first guys. I was the guy that threw up everywhere. Why don't I be the guy that gets in the water first? So I get in the water first with the guide, and we start looking around at all the, the, the ocean life, and I look down, and I see this really, I mean, just really big fish, and I'm thinking, that is an impressive, almost terrifying, potentially deadly fish that I am looking at. And so I pop my head up and say to the guide, I don't want to be that guy, but it seems like there's a really big fish. And I'm kind of concerned. Why don't you look? So he looks down and he says, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's, that's a big fish. That's like an eight foot reef shark, but, but don't worry, shouldn't eat you. <laughs> I said, okay, I'm done. I'm done. I'm going to get back on the boat and continue to, uh, to sit and watch everyone have a good time. And I got out of the boat and uh, we proceeded back, and what happened at the first happened again, and that's kind of how the story goes. It was quite a daunting day, to say the least. 
Uh, and I have to imagine, as Jesus is telling this story, that this was no small storm. The disciples and Jesus were in actually quite a big storm, as we'll see in a minute. But this isn't my story. This is uh, Jesus' story, and we're going to look into that. So first, I want to lay out a couple things. This first is a story about Jesus' power. In the book of Mark, we have a couple stories about Jesus' power. One in chapter 4, which talks about his power over the, the waves, the ocean. And then in Mark chapter 5, he has power over demons and even power over death to raise Jairus, uh, his daughter, from the dead. And so to help us understand what's going on here, we need to understand the setting that Jesus and his disciples were in. And so if you remember from last week, Jesus was on a boat and he was speaking these parables to people. Now, he was using a boat because it was important for people to hear him, and the water became a natural microphone system, so to speak. And with the large crowds that were there, Jesus was able to say, hey, here's the parable, and people could actually hear it because he was standing on a boat in a lake, and it met the crowds. It was a necessity. So he's on a boat in the Sea of Galilee. So I want to look at a couple details because it will help us understand uh, regarding the, the Sea of Galilee. So the Sea of Galilee is more like um, a lake. It's seven miles wide and it's 13 miles long. And because there's a location in a basin, and before we keep going, if this bothers you, this is going to be over soon, okay? The history, the details, it's going to be over soon. So just hang with me. Can you do that? Yeah. Can we get a response in here? Can we do that? Yeah, right. Wonderful. So here's the deal. It's 700 uh, feet below sea level. And there's hills and mountains on both sides. And it's actually an incredibly dangerous, like, anyone ever been to the Sea of Galilee? Anyone? Oh, wonderful. Why don't, you want to come up and tell them about it, Jim? You, wanna, you could. You probably do a better job. It's a very dangerous lake. It's on the east side. And Mount Hermon's on one side, and it shoots up 9,200 feet above sea level. And the interchange between the cold upper air and the falling um, air from Mount Hermon and the warm lower air rising up from the lake, they create these intense weather patterns at any time. And out of nowhere, fierce storms can come up and they can torment the lake. And to this day, on the western shores, there's, there's actually signs in the parking lot that says, hey, careful, don't park your car in these areas because crazy waves can come over and literally knock over your car. Now, there were fishermen in Jesus' crew of disciples. Upwards of half of them were actually fishermen. And these men were used to the sea, and they were scared to death. So I have to think, if they are used to the sea, and they're scared to death, this means it was potentially pretty bad. Now, the sea in Mark's world was symbolic, and we need to understand this to kind of realize the power and the, and the beauty of what Jesus does here. The sea in Mark's uh, world was symbolic because the Jews were not sea-fearing people. If you remember, they were desert people, and the sea over time became the symbol of like evil and chaos. And the idea was that all the demonic forces raging against God were in the sea. And to the Jews, it was the dwelling place of demons and spirits. If you think of Daniel, um, there was no more sea. Think of Psalm 93 talks about there being no more sea. To this day, they don't even really go in the water. And so the seas are a living symbol to these people of fear and darkness. It is the place where monsters come from. It's a place where anarchy is set against order. It's, it's crazy. So the story is about a storm, but it's also a story that has so much more. So we're going to look at this verse by verse. Look at Mark chapter 4, verse 35. 
and we are going to dissect some of this and, and understand it better. Verse 35 says this, That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Remember, Jesus is on a boat. He gets done teaching. And the other side is actually Gentile territory. So Jesus is on his way from a world of Israel and faith where people actually believe in him, want to hear his parables. You remember they're joining by the droves. He has to stand on a boat to be able to even speak to the amount of people that are there. To the other side, which was actually the side where pagans lived. And it was a scary journey. And Jesus' teachings just before he goes to the other side, had hints of God including non-Jews into the family of God. So Jesus is telling this story not only to the Jews, but then he's saying, hey, my message is not just for you guys. Message of salvation is for every person on this planet. And he starts hinting towards that. And, and we, see this, we see this happen. And so Jesus, moving on, verse 36, says this. Leaving the crowds behind... They took him along just as he was in the boat. There was also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. That phrase right there, they took Jesus along, probably means that Jesus was taken directly from the boat in which he was teaching the crowd to set off to the other side. Now, the other boats suggest that it wasn't just the disciples that were in Jesus' boat, but there were other boats taking along. They were the people that loved Jesus, that wanted to follow him, that wanted to be with him no matter what he was doing. And these other boats were people that were supporting Jesus and following him, even though it was a scary journey. Verse 38 says, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion, and the disciples woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? I love this. Could you imagine being awoken in a storm and people screaming at you? Don't you care if we drown? That would be a very horrible way to wake up. My little boy has these tricks he likes to play on me. He's four years old. I have no idea where he learned it, probably from me. But I'm not sure because I've never done this stuff to him. But the other day... I'm sleeping so peacefully. And it was 5.30 in the morning, so naturally I was sleeping. And he walks into our room, and he very quietly, as in his words, as a spy, comes into my room. He's very good at this. And he slowly takes his two fingers, his thumb and his index finger, and places them both over my nostrils, oh, so gently, <laughs> to when I still didn't know he was there. And then he squeezed slowly, while my mouth was closed, and, uh, and I woke up gasping for air, and he was laughing really hard, just standing there, and it was, he was quiet, because he knew his sister was sleeping, he's like, we don't wake up sister, because that's like, whoa, you just, you don't wake up to the sister, all right, she's sleeping, and he just has his hands by his mouth, he's like, <laughs> just dying, right, I've been woken up many ways, that's by far the worst, um, I feel like, in, in some way, Jesus is is getting me back for some of the things I did when I was young. So Jesus was sleeping on a cushion, which was a sandbag that was used for the ballast in the front of the boat. So Jesus is sleeping on a sandbag, essentially. And this is the only mention, this is interesting, is the only mention in all four of the Gospels of Jesus sleeping. He's just finished a long, hard, exhausting day of preaching to the crowds with no microphone, and he's tired. But truly, this story is more about Jesus being tired. This is a sign 
of Jesus' trust in God. He's sleeping. It's going crazy, but he's at rest. He's calm. He's not freaking out. Interesting. Why is it that we as people, as our first response usually to any situation, is to freak out? Have you noticed this? I've made this interesting observation uh, that we as humans are still really surprised when things don't go our way. We're like genuinely surprised. What? This didn't happen the way I wanted it? And your jaw drops. Some of you are very dramatic and very good at this when things don't go your way. You stub your toe and you're like, how could this happen? I mean, I was, I've been walking for years. I've been doing this for ages. I haven't even broken, but why did I do that? Some of you are more poor at walking than you think you are, okay? Why did this happen? You get pulled over and you think, God, how could this happen to me? Well, God wasn't the one forcing you to speed or to go through the stop signs or whatever. And, and you get really surprised that you're getting pulled over, although you knew you were going 20 miles over the speed limit. You were just really hoping that you didn't get caught. You get really surprised, or here's the worst. Someone takes your treadmill at the gym. Oh, no, they did not. And we freak out, and we really freak out. And why is that? There's a couple reasons I think that is. Uh, the first, I think it's because... Most of us are entitled, and we think that the world owes us this euphoric, perfect life that doesn't actually exist. Why, why do we get so upset when things don't go our way? Because we believe that life should be a certain way, and if it doesn't go according to plan, we freak out. Next time you freak out, something doesn't go your way, do yourself a favor and stand in front of a mirror. It, you would be so shocked at some of your faces. I've seen them before. Just that you become distorted. You become a different person. It's crazy to see. So first, I think it's because we feel entitled. Secondly, I believe it's because that we don't really have faith that God's in control of our life. If you lose your job, and by all means, losing your job is tragic. It's hard. It is difficult. But losing your job or breaking up with a boyfriend or girlfriend or, or changing directions with your life or your calling, whatever it is, when these things happen... One of the reasons I believe we freak out is because we, we don't think that we really have faith in God. We have to believe that God's in control of our lives, and we, at the end of the day, really don't believe that. If we did, we would be a lot calmer, as Jesus was. And now, I'm not specifically speaking of when someone just takes your treadmill, although that is kind of frustrating. I'm speaking of when things don't go your way, and when life takes a different direction. Uh, in this moment, I think of my dear friend, Eric Frazier. You guys know him. You know the story. Eric, are you here? No, you're probably, sleep you're probably sleeping somewhere. That's good. It's, it's at least 6. Yeah, it's 6.40. He's probably sleeping somewhere. He's tired. Um, right now, he's, uh, he's recovering uh, from brain surgery. And just to catch you up, he's strong. Um, he's, he's one of my dear friends. Each year we go, we run hood to coast together, and he barely beats me. At least that's what I like to say because it makes me feel better about myself because he's really fast, and it's very humbling to run with him once in a while. And uh, he's living life, life to the fullest. He's serving here. He's, he's walking with Jesus. He has a wonderful wife, Caitlin, two little girls, Eva and Hazel. And one Saturday late night, he has a violent seizure, goes to the hospital. Next morning, he wakes up, finds out he has a brain tumor that he needs to have removed that coming uh, Tuesday. Now, in my opinion, Eric actually has something to freak out about. At, at that moment... I think any person would be entitled for a minute to say, okay, that's kind of crazy, wasn't on my plan, not necessarily what I was hoping for. 
Uh, but you know what? He doesn't. Now, I'm not just saying that because he's my friend, but truly, he's not freaking out. Oftentimes, we have to remind him that we're supposed to help him and not the other way around. When I see him, he's always like, how are you doing? Oh, I'm sorry to inconvenience you. I mean, it's kind of hard to actually serve him because he's so busy trying to serve you. And why, why is that? I believe that's because at the root of Eric's soul, he trusts in Jesus. He's not perfect. He's flawed. Trust me, I know. I've known him for a long time. But there's trust in Jesus. That when these moments happen, he's not sitting there freaking out. And I believe in the moments that things are seemingly going crazy all around us, that's when God has a real chance to show his active power and control in our life. Just before this, um, I'm going on vacation tonight. Right after this, my wife and I are going up to the Sierra Nevada mountains. It's going to be a wonderful time with our kids, and we're road tripping it. It's going to be a great time. And right before this afternoon, I'm studying, I'm praying, I'm just thanking God for this wonderful opportunity. And all of a sudden, I cannot find my only one singular car key to my car. And I I placed it in my pocket. I'm sure of it. Um, At least that's what I told myself. And I told my wife repeatedly. She still doesn't believe me. But it's not important. I couldn't find my key. And and to top it all off, both of the car seats for the kids, they were definitely in my car. And uh, so not only is my wife at home, then, then my kids are like, well, it's not even like we can transfer car seats and such. And so we, we think, let's look. So we look for a good hour, two hours, two and a half hours. And it gets to the point where I'm like, I'm either going to have to call someone else to teach or I'm just going to have to go. And I realized in this moment, what a, what a crazy distraction. And so we're, we're getting ready to pray over here. My wife gives me a call and she's like, hey, they said it was going to be like 170. They actually said it's going to be like 400 bucks. No, actually 500 bucks to just get into your car and re- laser cut a key or something like this or whatever and I'm just sitting here laughing like this is comical like why is this going on and I was reminded as I'm teaching on a story about what do we do when when things don't go our way trust me this is not going my way there's $500 that are going away right now and I'm not pumped about it all right I had other plans for that okay and I'm not pumped about it but at the end of the day I am so blessed to be able to share God's word with his people. I'm honored to do it. And I'd much rather do that and not have some money. And hopefully, if you're a locksmith in this room, come talk to me afterwards. We'll have a good conversation. (laughs) It will be a wonderful time. But truly, when, when we have these moments, when we have these storms, so to speak, we have a great opportunity. And what if instead of freaking out when storms come, you would thank God for his active power in your life? What if that happened? It's hard. It's difficult. I was trying to do it today. I was like, I'm going to preach this. I better try it. God, thanks for this key that I can't find. And thank you. That's going to cost me more money. Oh, my goodness. None of my kids are going to college. It got dark quick. Okay. My future was over quickly. And uh, I tried. And I'll just tell you, quite honestly, it was difficult. But then at the end of the day, right now, I'm just so thankful that, that God teaches us he doesn't just say, hey, kind of do it. He says, no, I'm going to teach you. And What if we looked at craziness in life as a vehicle that God's using to get you to where he ultimately wants you to be? I know that life is not ideal for some of you at this moment. There's moments in my life it's not ideal. It doesn't always work out the way we want. But instead of getting frustrated about that, what if we, we took that and said, God, you're active in my life. 
you're, you're actively disciplining or actively correcting or actively teaching me. But so often, uh, maybe you're like me and I go around complaining and whining about what I didn't get, about how that guy's just trying to charge me 500 bucks and I just want to call my friend that owns so many guns right now and ask him to go find where he lives and give him a hug and stuff like that. <laughs> anyway, uh, we're going to move on. Verse 39. <laughs> Verse 39, uh, right here. You can take advantage of me. You take advantage of my wife. I will. That's just, we, it gets crazy, all right? Verse 39 says this, he got up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and was completely calm. The word quiet right here in Greek, uh, it means to be quiet, but it's more like hush or, or quiet down or be silent. And it's combined with the word rebuked or, or scolded. It's like when you say to your kids, like, shh, be quiet. We're in public. You're embarrassing me. Stop, stop screaming, stuff like that. If you have kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The exact same word rebuked is used by Jesus in Mark chapter 1, verse 25, if you want to look, for a demon. He rebuked the demon and he said, quiet. But he also rebuked the sea, saying, quiet. Now, my thought is, is Jesus speaking to the sea like a personified person or a force of evil? Now, for us to understand this, you need to know that this phrase right here is in the second person singular in Greek. If that doesn't uh, wow you, this will. This is what it means. As though Jesus were addressing a personal being. The idea is that Jesus was addressing not just the water, but a personal being. And the word carries this meaning of like being muzzled. It's in a rude tone. It's like if you were to say shut up is the idea. Now, we're not allowed to say that in my home because... Uh, when my little boy turned two and figured out how to say that, there was nothing more embarrassing and also just unfortunate to hear your kid go around and say that to, to people and or to yourself. It wasn't a good thing. So we said, you know, we're just going to keep that word as an off-limit word in our house. And, and he's very, uh, when this happens, he's very, he, he honors these things. He really likes following the rules. And so the other day, he, someone had said it, and he comes up and he, he tugs on my hand. He goes, Dad, ah. Uh, a kid in my class said something. And I was like, oh, what did he say? Like, I'm thinking he, he was rude or mean or something. He goes, Dad, he said, he said the shut word. It's like, he wouldn't even say it. I was like, oh, he did. It's okay. We're all in process, son. You know, everyone's growing. None of us, we don't all have this figured out. And, but it's an intense, rude tone. It's being mean. It's aggressive. And Jesus is saying to the wind, he's saying to the waves, he's saying, hey, quiet down. And just as a, as a demon was at work in a man in Mark chapter 1, a demonic power was also work in nature itself. Now, remember, the Jews, they were not sea-fearing people. They were desert people. And the sea, over time, as we already talked about, became a symbol of evil and chaos. And Jesus rebukes the waves like he rebukes a demon. That's interesting. He rebukes. He says, be quiet. A quick thought. What are the voices in your life that you need to rebuke? As I was reading this, I was really struck that Jesus is rebuking the waves. He's saying, be quiet. But I wonder tonight, if you're here, and maybe you've got everything put together on the outside, but there's these voices in your head. And some of them just need to be honestly rebuked. Some of them need, you need to say, be quiet. The voices that say you're not good enough that your calling isn't grand enough, the 
the one that says you're, you're not attractive enough for marriage. You're not good enough for this job. You're not okay in God's eyes. What are the voices for you that need to be rebuked? Because here's the deal. Jesus has power to actually calm those voices. Some of you, it's yourself. Some of it, I believe, can be demonic activity at times. And I want to encourage you, take a personal inventory. Say, Jesus, what are the voices in my head that are just complete lies? And here's what's interesting. When you tell yourself something long enough, you will not only begin to believe it, but you will begin to become it. And you need to realize, by you telling yourself you're not good enough or being too hard on yourself at times and not looking at life through the eyes that Jesus says, which is grace, which is forgiveness, which is beautiful, you start to become this negative creature in person that I believe Jesus never made you to be. He says, listen, I want to help you. What voices do you need to rebuke? Jesus has the power to calm them. I really, really encourage you to, to take control with the Spirit's strength and, and do that. Moving on, verse 40. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? I love that. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Jesus turns the question around and he asks, why? Why do you have no faith? Now, faith here is faith in God power living in Jesus is the idea. The word afraid is different from the word that's used in the next verse and how they were afraid of Jesus. This word means more like cowardly. It's like, why are you afraid? Why are you cowering away from the power of God that, that is in Jesus? Jesus is asking why after all you've seen, after all you've heard, you don't believe that he's able to actually rescue them. Why do you not believe in me? After just hearing him teach on how nothing can stand in the way of the king in the kingdom, after seeing demons cast out, and they're like, it's water, it's going to kill us, it's just terrifying. And we see Jesus' power here. Now Mark, the, the book of Mark is a fascinating book. But Mark's a good writer, and like any good writer, we see layers of meaning through this whole thing. Through all of this, there's so many layers. So I want us to look at a couple, and I want you to write these down. If you aren't taking notes, please write these down. If you are, write them down. And again, if you're not, just keep writing them down. I'm going to get them in your mind one way or another. But the first layer we see is right here. Jesus is more than a teacher. The first layer of meaning. Jesus is more than a teacher. Jesus, as you know, at the time was a well-known teacher, and people came from all over Israel to listen to Jesus for days at a time. So many people that he ended up teaching from a boat. And that's why the disciples say, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He's saying, hey, you're a teacher. We didn't know you had this God power. So far, the disciples just think that Jesus is a teacher. But then he shows the power over the sea. And in the Hebrew scriptures at the time, which is all they had, only God had power over the sea, meaning the power that made the world from the beginning was now living in Jesus. And this was a big deal to the disciples. Now, don't forget, when we read a story about Jesus in the Bible, we are actually reading a story about God. And when you read a story about Jesus and how he treats tax collectors and prostitutes, you learn how God feels towards sinners. When you read about how Jesus gets frustrated with the disciples right here about their lack of faith, 
That's how God feels towards you and me after so much, and we still seem to not trust in him. It's not so much that Jesus is God. He, he absolutely is. It's more like God is Jesus, meaning God is like Jesus. And that's why reading these stories week after week is so important. Because when you read about how Jesus feels towards people, you have a window into how God feels towards you and me. And I believe that's a real gift. Because so often we think, God, do you, do you love me? Do you care? Do you have compassion? How do you feel about this or that? And I encourage you, if you're questioning what God's character is like, read the scriptures. It's there. It's powerful. And that's why we read them. So he's a teacher, yes. Um, but secondly, underneath that is another layer. So first, Jesus was more than a teacher. Secondly, the second layer is Jesus is with you in the storms of life. As we look at this, we see that Jesus is with the disciples in the storm. And Jesus is with you and I in these different storms in life. Now keep in mind, Mark was writing to a church that was facing persecution, prison, torture, and death. And it was at the hands of a guy named Caesar Nero. And he was a demonized, evil, Hitler-like figure, to, to put it in our context. They were facing storms, to say the least. And he's saying that Jesus is not callous or uncaring about their suffering, but he's with them. And he wants them to pray, but he also wants them to have faith that he can do it. Before uh, having the privilege of coming out to Sunset and uh, being with you wonderful people, I had the privilege of, for a long time, uh, being a youth pastor at the West Side Church, our location over in the Tigard area. And uh, some of you were in that youth group while I was there. It was wonderful. We had a wonderful time. But there's one particular story that I will never forget, and... It was, it's powerful because of what Jesus did. There was a young girl, she was maybe 16, and she was the girl that was at everything. She was on every missions trip. She was on every trip that we even offered that year. It was like middle of the winter, we're going to go to the snow and, and build snow forts. She's there. doesn't matter what we're doing. doesn't matter how glamorous or how lame, she was there at everything. She was walking with Jesus. She was in the scriptures every day. This girl was crazy about Jesus, and she was the kind of person you wanted around. You wanted her on every team because she was the most servant-hearted, humble, wonderful girl in the group. It was so incredible to see God grab her life and use it, and she went on every, everything with us. It was incredible. After youth group one night, I remember looking over and seeing her, and she seemed really depressed, kind of dark, kind of out of it. And I remember going over and saying, hey, you doing okay? And she just said, yeah, I'm just, I'm just having an off night. It's just a hard night, and I think I'm going to go home. She could drive at the time. So I was like, okay, yeah, you know, absolutely. We all have off days. That's no big deal. Go home. So she goes home, and I get a call the next morning. It's a Friday morning from her mom. And her mom had begun to tell me a story about how she went into this young girl's room because she heard a thud in the morning. And she walked in, and when she walked in, she had seen a belt around her daughter's neck, and she had tried to hang herself that morning. The reason the mom walked in is because she heard something, and she sees this neck, this belt around her neck, excuse me, and she tries to find anything she can to cut the thing off, and she does, and she was okay. But they send the girl to St. Vincent's, um, psych ward, because that's where they send any 
teenage or any aged child to almost adult to recover after attempted suicide. And so I get this call, and shocked was not even close to, to how I felt. This was literally, you've heard it said before, but it was literally the last person I could have imagined getting a phone call like this. So I go to visit her. I sat with her, and to be honest, she was really sad. She was brokenhearted. She was embarrassed. She knew that she had hurt the people in her life that loved her the most, and it was difficult. And what was really going on was that she had storms in her life, massive ones. But you know what? She wasn't calling on Jesus and or anyone else to help calm them. She tried to do only what God can do, and she failed. She needed to wake Jesus up, so to speak, and say, help, I'm drowning. I need help. I can't do this. Instead, she just tried to continue to have this shell look good, and she loved Jesus, she did, but some of the things she was dealing with were so deep that it didn't matter how much she read the scripture, she needed, she needed help, professional help. And in this story, this is Mark's invitation to all of us, that when you're in a storm, to wake Jesus up and to pray to him. In all your fear, and all your anger, he's with you in the storm, but don't be surprised when he turns to you and says, hey, but wait, 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 where's your faith? Like he did to, the, did to the disciples. Oftentimes in storms, man's question, our question to God is usually, don't you care? But God's question to man is, why are you so afraid? We think tragedy happens and we're like, God, why aren't you there? Why aren't you helping me? Where did you go? You know, it just takes two minutes for us to feel this way. Well, all of a sudden, something goes bad and we're just like, God, why'd you turn on me? He's like, what? Wait, wait, wait. Why are you so scared? Do you remember all the times in the past that I've been faithful to be with you? I'm still here. You're just questioning me more because you're uncomfortable. Rather than question God, the invitation is to answer God. Instead of questioning him, it's to answer. And you know what's really great? This girl... She recovered. Um, she's walking with Jesus. She's doing well. She's not attempted suicide again. And, and it's grateful to, I'm so grateful to see God's work in her life. But maybe some of you are here tonight and you're like that girl. You have these voices going on in your head and your shell is put together. I mean, you look good from the outside. You, you work it out. You, you make sure you're there. You make sure you have all the social cues on. You make sure that you're in style. You make sure that you're in shape. You make sure that you're eating the right things, saying the right things. But inside you are a rotting corpse, so to speak. Call out to Jesus. Please call out to Jesus. He wants to help calm whatever storm is going on in your mind, in your heart. Rather than freak out and go into pandemonium, Jesus' invitation to us is to sleep and to rest and to have faith that he can help you. He really can. One thing that's important to remember before we move on, there are no stormless seas. I'll repeat, there are no stormless seas. Everyone has tragedy. Everyone has difficulties. There is no one person on this earth that doesn't experience pain at times. So if you're in a tragedy tonight, take this, write it down, go home, read, pray, ask God's truth to be revealed in every way. 
And if you're not in a storm, just take some notes. Don't matter. It doesn't matter. You will be soon. And you can be uh, excited about that. And at least we have some application and some stories to help us. There are no stormless seas. What are you going to do when they come? Wake Jesus up. Have faith. The last layer that we see is that this story is really a contrast between fear and faith. I'll repeat it. This story is the contrast, we see it practically, between fear and faith. Fear is interesting. And fear makes us really, deep down, feel our humanity. Again, I'm going to say that. Fear makes us feel our humanity. Because when you're afraid... That generally means you're not in control. That's why a lot of people hate roller coasters or extreme rides. Anyone hate those? I love them. So if you are a lover of those things, please come talk to me afterwards. We will plan a grand trip. I like not being in control, especially on roller coasters. Anyone like a roller coaster? Anybody, please. Someone. Okay, two people, three. We've got to work on response here, everybody. I'm going to pray for all of us, you especially, for that. But fear makes us feel our humanity because we're not in control And to not be in control is really what faith is. It's to give up your life and trust God, not only with your job, with your life, with details, with everything. And fear reminds us that we're not in control. And fear also reminds us that we want to be. And many of us have this kind of uh, hoarding mentality when it comes to our faith. If God does something good and gets us a job we like, in, in a relationship that we like, we have this tendency, at least I do, to go, all right, it's good. I like this stuff. I don't really want to move. And God's like, no, I have another opportunity for you. I don't know, man. I might be uncomfortable, God. I'm, I like this. I like sitting here with all my stuff, with all the things that I like. And it might not be the best, but at least it's not the worst. And I'm excited about that. And I don't know if you're here tonight and you feel that way. And the reason, one of the reasons you're stuck is because it's not because you're not listening to God. You are walking with God. He's just asking you to do stuff and you're afraid to do it because you like what you have and you're afraid of being uncomfortable or or being not in control like Jesus was. And I have to tell you that Jesus is not after you in a negative way. He wants to help you. He wants to bless you. And we become so fearful that we might be uncomfortable and not so happy. And we have this fear that God's going to lead us down this horrible path where all happiness goes to die. And he doesn't want that. He doesn't. He wants to help you. And fear really, if you think about it, and as we look at this, fear stops us from living the full life that God has for us. But Jesus invites us through the book of Mark to stop living a life guided by fear, but rather to start living a life guided by faith. And we see this in the scripture. So what does that look like? What does it look like to walk rather by faith and and rather by fear? The first thing, write this down again, be open. Be open. God is a good God, and he's not trying to torture you. Be open. So what? You might be a little uncomfortable. Things might not always be in order. But Jesus is in the process of shaping you to be more loving, more holy, more pure, more generous, more kind, to actually be the normal version of yourself that he created. But this thing called sin got in the way, and now we need to be shaped and molded and Sometimes that's painful, but trust me, it is good. Be open. God is after your joy. The second thing, uh, start living. Be open and start living. 
It is only when we are no longer afraid that we begin to live. It, let me repeat that. It is only when you are no longer afraid or fearful of what could happen that you begin to live. So there might be some storms. There's moments of weakness, moments of fatigue. Jesus experienced it even. But God's with us, and it's only by faith that we can stop fearing and start living. And some of you are here, and you're like, I don't even want that kind of life. I just want a good life. I don't need that great business. I just need the good life. I just want stuff that's good and comfortable. I don't need that abundant stuff, just a good life. Uh, G.K. Chesterton says this. This is a great quote. He says, The word good has many meanings. For example, if a man were to shoot his grandmother at a range of 500 yards, I should call him a good shot, but not necessarily a good man. You can laugh. That's okay. That is funny. Yeah. I love that quote. And the reason is because good ultimately is the enemy of best. God, man, Jesus tells us time and time again, I want you to live an abundant life. Here's how you do it. Oh, but Lord, I'm comfortable. I just got a flat screen TV. I'm loving this. I don't want to move around. I don't, I don't want to give up comforts and luxury in life. I, I have what I want. I get what I want. I live where I want. But Jesus is saying, no, good is the enemy of best, and I have a great plan for you. God doesn't want you to just th- survive. He wants you to thrive. He doesn't want you to just barely get through this life and you get to heaven, haggard, messed up, like, I made it. I made it. No, he wants you to thrive. He's not going to kill you. He's going to help you. He's going to mold and shape you. And sometimes it feels almost like death. You're like, am I going to make it? And God's like, no, just take a step back. You're okay. It's just kind of uncomfortable. And, and God's heart for us is good. He wants us to stop striving. God has a great life for you and for, for me, and it's our job to start living. So if you are in a storm, and if in a day or in a week or in a month or in a decade out of the blue, all of a sudden your life is swamped and your boat is filling up with water and your faith in God is put to an actual real test, please wake Jesus up. Call to him. Ask him for help. But be sure, even as we look at this passage, be sure to have faith. Because God's not just in this to say, hey, ask me for things. He's saying, no, I I want you to have faith that I can actually do the things that you don't believe that I can do in your life. All of us, no matter what walk of life we come from, no matter what we brought to this place tonight, have, have baggage, we have issues, we have things that Jesus is working on and through. You can continue to be like the disciples and freak out and live in pandemonium and think we're going to drown and we're going to die. And you can live in that state for the rest of your life. You really can. And you know what that will be? Torture. Not only for you, but for those around you. Wake Jesus up, but also have faith. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.